0: Welcome to Saving the Game.
1: This is episode 86, Callings and Changes, recorded Friday, May 20th of 2016, with your hosts, Grant and Peter.
0: Welcome to Saving the Game, I'm Grant. And I'm Peter. Peter, how are you? Tired. How are you? Uh, much the same, <laughs> but we will push through, obviously. Yeah. Uh, you have legitimate reasons to be tired, though, as I understand it. Yeah, I started a new job this week. Uh,
1: after 14 and a half years as a Barnes & Noble employee, I now work for a different company. I uh, started with a small company in a town about half an hour from me, so my commute's about the same, that sells used and through kind of a another company that's under the same roof with the same employee's new computer equipment. Gotcha. Uh, some corporate structure thing there. So cool. yeah, I've been working in a warehouse with computers and computer components this week and schlepping heavy, uninterruptible power supplies around. And actually, the company that I work for takes a lot of used computer equipment from other companies and either resells it or you know salvages it so I've been pulling apart a bunch of laptops that we got from a medical facility because they have to be destroyed due to HIPAA laws and uh, there's, there's one particular model of laptop whose manufacturer and specific designation will remain a secret. That I have a special dislike for right now. And it's a
0: dislike that I share, I can tell you that. Yeah. Uh, for, our, for our international listeners uh, and those who don't keep up with this sort of thing, when we talk about HIPAA laws, those are basically medical privacy laws here in the U.S. Yep. So, just FYI.
1: So, yeah, to get the hard drive out of this thing, I have to remove 13 screws, and some of them are very badly designed screws. And Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, we had a old, old job that I worked for. We got a new server in from this same company. And it came in 70 different pieces.
1: Wow. Did you have to, like, solder on your own capacitors on the motherboard or
0: something? I, How does that even you know, work? I think he might have had to. I don't know. I was not the um, the server admin. I was help desk flunky. So, you know, I didn't really have to deal with it. But I remember the server admin had this machine just spread out on the floor of the server room, which was very large, thankfully. And he was just trying to put all these pieces in, because, like, everything removable was removed. Like, I want to say everything came in a separate little baggie or something. Wow. It was
1: really silly. So he basically had to go through what I go through when I build a new computer for myself at home, which is hook up all the front panel connectors, stick in all the DIMMs, put in all the add-in cards, put in the standoffs to keep the motherboard off the metal case, and so on, and so on, and so on.
0: Yeah, but it was like, make sure all the jumpers are put on correctly, because those came in separate little things. Like, it was really silly. Wow. Yeah.
1: This was long enough ago, I'm guessing, where this was before the days of, like, toolless power supplies that you could just pull in and out with a handle, and yeah. everything had to be screwed in, I'm guessing.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: So the timeline on this is 4 o'clock, FedEx arrives,
0: 4.03, scream of dismay from the server room. Yes, 4.03 a.m., it's finally done, yes. (laughs) In fairness, it was replacing a three-rack unit Pentium III compact. Wow, That's, that's a while ago. If what it was
1: replacing was a Pentium III, that is... This was in, like, 2008.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was a while ago. <laughs> right, so, Years, that, that'll do it. Yeah, it was kind of special. But anyway, enough ragging on unnamed company. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. You're you're actually not the only one going through a transition here, which is why we're going to be talking about callings and changes. Well, you just had a your second child a little while ago, so that definitely oh, qualifies. Oh well, I mean, that's a change, sure. But I'm picking up a new hobby, and clearly that's the important thing to talk about here. (laughs) Okay, so what's your new hobby? Well, okay, so first off, now that my child has been born, my new hobby is largely talking about my new child with strangers, because that's what new parents do. I was going to say, you're a young parent. Isn't that, like, mandated or something? Uh, Yeah, pretty much. But the other one, and the supplies have not actually arrived yet, but by the time this episode drops, it will have been my birthday, and... Part of my birthday gift is time to take these supplies, have the kids and my wife out of the house, so I have a couple hours by myself to just take a break and play with these things and start trying to teach myself how to paint with oils. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I didn't even know you had an artistic bent. I don't. I'm going to try and see if I can make one come through with brute force.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, uh, can I, I, I don't, can
1: I recommend a resource to you then?
0: Bob Ross. Uh, well, okay. Other There's than Bob, Bob Ross YouTube channel, it has <laughs> most of his videos. Yeah, I'm actually a big Bob Ross fan, and part of that was bec- I kind of got the idea for doing this because my daughter and I, the older kid, were watching Bob Ross videos because it calmed her down before nap time. Okay. Yeah, and if you can't be calmed by Bob Ross, something is wrong with you. Exactly. Very calming, and. When she didn't want to calm down, right, she would go and get her paints or her markers and try and paint along with Bob, which is adorable, but also kind of like, oh, I should do that. And I've been sitting on this for a while and watching more and more of his videos and paying more attention to it and going, okay, what's he doing here? How, what's what's the composition look like? Looking around and finally I was like, you know what? I'm going to learn to paint. This seems fun.
1: Even if you're not selling stuff in galleries and things, it
0: Artistic stuff can be very relaxing, and it's kind of cool to get stuff out on paper. You are absolutely correct. I have no intention of trying to sell this until somebody comes along like five years later and is like, oh, you might be good enough to sell it like the local coffee shop, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Anything beyond that will be a welcome surprise. I have no intention of even like trying to do it, right? But I've been needing something to blow off steam and be creative in a way that the podcast is not. Because podcasting is great. I love it. But there's a different kind of creativity involved. Yeah. I mean, this is so, this is short form. It's uh, it's non-visual, for one thing. And that's that's it, too. And you say, you know, I, don't, I was joking about not having any artistic talent. I used to play around with, you know, some graphic design stuff and Photoshop and... You know, that sort of thing. Just kind of on a on my spare time, I hesitate to say it, but there might still be an old DeviantArt page out there. Not going to give any hints, but it was like, Hey, it's early 2000s. Why don't you design cool wallpapers? I was young and stupid. Forgive me. But, <laughs> well, you've
1: made some nice looking t-shirts for STG using some of the available resources online. So clearly
0: you've got a good eye. Right. And I want to kind of just play around with that. So that's... That's kind of where I'm going with it. Do not expect anything cool, you know, to come of this. But I don't know if you follow me on Twitter, you might see a picture of a painting or two. That's all I'm saying. Okay. They will be indistinguishable from Bob Ross works because one of the first things I'm going to be doing is trying to copy his stuff and do you know paint along with Bob to get the technique down and that sort of thing. So. Oh, there you go. There are over 31 seasons of Bob Ross of wow. painting.
1: I had no There're idea he did that many.
0: 13 episode seasons. There's over 31 of them, or 31 or more. I don't know exactly how many.
1: So there's there's something approaching 400 episodes of Bob Ross out there.
0: You know, he did something like more than 25,000 paintings in his lifetime. Because <sighs> he'd go around and teach, right?
1: Wow. I mean, that's that's a level of prolificness that you need to have, like... News shows are The Simpsons or something to get close to for TV, and for that level of paintings, he if he's not a record holder, he's probably darn close. I I doubt he's a record
0: holder, honestly. He's certainly Um, an outlier. It's unusual, but at the same time, remember, he's going around teaching, and each episode of Joy of Painting is 30 minutes, plus he's got instructional DVDs and all this stuff, and all of that stuff is paintings that he made. And he was painting long before he did the Joy of Painting.
1: Yeah, that's true. So you know, true. very
0: very prolific guy, sure, but at the same time, you kind of look at it and go, oh right, he's producing probably a couple hundred paintings in a like like maybe two hundred paintings a year, if he's doing a lot of teaching and doing all this other stuff. So yeah, he can knock out a, a single joy painting episode in thirty minutes. It's yeah, not, that's true. It's not an incredibly detailed painting, but it's cool. Anyway, we've rambled on about.
1: One last thought there, just because this is a, a mind-blowing thing. I wonder if there's any statistics out there about how many gallons of paint he went through in his life. <laughs>
0: I have no idea. And Although what size I have of a seen... container that would fill. <laughs> I have. I did see an article kind of go past my feed that I didn't read about what happened to Bob Ross's paintings from The Joy of Painting.
1: Probably a lot of different things, I would imagine.
0: I think so. I think a lot of them were kind of just given away to people or, you know sold off, little things here and there.
1: They're hanging in somebody's living room, huh?
0: Yeah. I, like, they're not stashed away in a vault somewhere. Let's put it that way.
1: <laughs> no. So. And I mean, certainly, I, I from what I remember of the few episodes of The Joy of Painting that I watched, that doesn't even seem like the sort of thing that he would go for. You know, it's... I would think he would want his stuff just kind of out there to
0: oh, be enjoyed. Sure. And I mean, that's why... T- you know, Twitch got the rights to do that Bob Ross marathon. Right. Hey, you know, the the Bob Ross Foundation, which I think is run by his family, but I'm not sure about that. He's like, hey, yeah, let, let's get, let's show people this because he would love that. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, enough talking about painting. I promise this is a podcast about role-playing games and Christianity, not painting and new jobs. Yeah. But also <laughs> we're going to be talking about a relevant topic, so that
1: works out, right? Yeah, yeah. Let me put it to you this way, listeners. You'll be amazed how applicable some of what we just said is to the main content of the episode.
0: Yeah. So, uh, before we get into that main topic, I do want to do two things real quick. First, okay, I want to welcome any new listeners that we've got over the past uh, several episodes. We're really glad to have you. Thanks for joining us and listening to our show. You're awesome. And second, I want to remind everyone that if you do like the show... Rate us and review us on iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere else that supports podcast reviews. And, you know, share us out on social media. If you like an episode, you know, tweet it. Post it on Facebook, Google+, Plus. I don't know, Ello, Tumblr, wh- whatever you're using. Is Ello still a thing? I know Ello's still a thing. I still get spam from yeah, it.
1: Yeah, I still get spam from it, too. I haven't logged into my Ello account in probably six months, but it's still
0: a thing. Yeah. Oh, Ello. How pretentious. Hey. Anyway. Yeah, that's that's the best thing that ever came of that. All right. (laughs) Enough about that. Let's get on to some scripture about this topic and then uh, really get into this in detail. All right. Take this first one. Sure. This is second
1: Samuel verses five through eight. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah 7 years and 6 months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years.
0: And our New Testament verse is Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So, the topic we're talking about tonight is new callings and life changes. And we're talking about this in part because Peter got this new job, and it's kind of been on his mind, obviously, and yeah. somewhat on, on my mind. Thinking, and it, it tied into some other things I've been thinking about lately. Specifically, I've been listening to One Shot, the the One Shot RPG podcast uh, with James D'Amato and Cat Cool and various different guests. Uh, fantastic podcast! I know we have recommended it before. Uh, it's pretty much the only actual play that I listen to these days, and it's because it's awesome. And easily consumed, because it's not a six-hour block of an episode. They, they do a lot of good editing, break it up well, etc. It's well produced.
1: I keep hearing about these folks. I really should give them a try sometime, but my available podcast listening time has just plummeted.
0: I understand. The recent series they've done, and as of this recording, they're in three episodes in on this. There's at least one more. I think it's going to be four episodes. This is their playthrough of Tenra Bansho Zero, which is a very interesting-sounding Japanese RPG. Uh, imagine adorable anime crossed with Cronenbergian body horror. Okay. Yeah. But it's it's got some interesting mechanics in it, mostly involving a system of destinies and karma, which I, I have been struggling to understand from the playthrough you know, the actual play, because they're not delving into the mechanics completely. But one of the cool things about it is you get new goals as part of your character system during play. And new attachments to characters and that sort of thing. So as you are telling the story, you can look at this and say, well, during intermission, I'm going to give myself a new goal, a new destiny of protect this village, right? And that creates basically a new responsibility for your character. Once it's complete edit, it, it kind of grows in importance and, and scope. You get points added to it, and eventually you can basically kind of say, hey, I've completed this, and I presume cash it in in some way. Okay. I was thinking about that in opposition to what I have called the backstory trap. Have you noticed that so many characters with a backstory are awful because they refuse to deviate from the backstory. Yeah.
1: I don't think we have specifically discussed this particular thing, but I know some of the other podcasts that I listen to have kind of gone into this. There's two ways of handling a character's backstory, at least for the purposes of what we're doing here. You Mm -hmm. can either have a character who, like you said, the backstory defines them and it basically bronzes them (laughs) Um, yeah, and they're they're kind of stuck in this form that they were, you know, th- this is how they got to here and this is where they're going to stay, basically. And then you can have, well, I I guess you could, to use myself as an example, you could basically have the 14 and a half years that I did at Barnes and Noble as the backstory for my new job at the computer company. But none of this stuff at Barnes & Noble can really define me there anymore. I am in a new environment. I have new people around me. I don't have my old, you know, reputation built up. I'm using a different, although not totally different, set of skills. And the backstory is kind of more of a lens that I use to kind of process all of these new experiences and ways that what has gone before can flavor what I'm doing now, but I mean, I'm changing already in my working habits and stuff.
0: Just the way sure. that
1: they handle breaks and stuff is different at this company. So
0: Changes are what I'm after here. Yeah. Compare this to, uh, let, let's pick a very classic example of a character with a goal created in their backstory. Sure. Inigo from The Princess Bride. Right. I think we're all familiar with this. I doubt I am going to spoil The Princess Bride for anyone.
1: Yeah, I'm very glad I don't have six fingers on my hand.
0: We all should be. And yeah. <laughs> Nico Montoya, his father was killed. He is looking for the man who killed his father. Things happen, but ultimately the character does not change until that is completed. And that is completed at the end of the movie. And only then does he then say, huh, I wonder what I should do now. Yeah. I mean, things happen, sure. But ultimately, he really doesn't change very much, does he? No, he's very defined by that goal.
1: And it's interesting, once that goal is addressed, he actually really
0: hangs a lampshade on it. He looks at another character and he's like, so now what? <laughs> right. And that's okay. I am not saying that Inigo is in any way a bad character in this movie. No, Inigo is a, is a very interesting character. And he's the classic character obsessed with vengeance. And once it's done, he's he's a little lost. Right. Except for in in some ways he's not the classic character who's obsessed with vengeance
1: because even though that's like his driving quest and stuff, it's not the only thing about him that matters. I mean he has he has a deep personal code of honor, he forms attachments and relationships, he has genuine affection for other characters. He's a lot Mm -hmm. more interesting than a lot of revenge seeker characters are. Because he's a person.
0: All true. (laughs) But ultimately, my point is, he's got a backstory and does not deviate. Yeah, absolutely. If this were a role-playing game character, it'd be, oh, well, I, I can't do that. That doesn't work for my character. As if the backstory is what I am supposed to do with my character until the payoff at the very end of the game. Right? Yeah. Instead of, hey, this is stuff that sets me up for where I am but I can do whatever going forward colored by that backstory and guided by that backstory. You know, we're the product of our experiences. These are the experiences that have created this character to this point. Go. I'm still a protagonist.
1: There's a part of me that wants to take one of these characters. That's like this. If I get one in a future game at some point and give them the fulfillment of their defining (laughs)
0: quest or, you know, thing about them in, like, session four. The first act. Wrap up yeah. the first act and then say, all right, now what? Yeah. And that might be one way to handle this, honestly, is I think we are all used to, and I there are obviously very good reasons for this, we're all used to looking at a role-playing game sort of like a movie or a novel where the big issue raised at the start is the climactic issue... That ties into the resolution of the story. Well, I mean, sure. Right? I
1: mean, to the point where there's actual role-playing games like Primetime Adventures and Drama System that are out there to specifically replicate that.
0: Right. Sam and Dean on Supernatural want to know what happened to their father and Sam's girlfriend? I don't know. One of them. Yeah. I saw an episode. Yeah, it was, it was Sam's girlfriend. Okay. And that is... What they keep chasing—that's the A plot for this particular show, at
1: cool. least for the first season or two. Okay,
0: sure. Uh, I know after that it just devolves into so other many stuff. things. It's yeah. definitely a devolution, but it's—it's it's so many things. But you don't solve that in the first couple of episodes because that's what you say for your mid-season, you know what is it? The, what are we calling it now? The mid season finale sweeps week, whatever it is. And then the season finale that we get some resolution and have a new cliffhanger to hopefully get renewed for the next season. Yep. We want that thing that we set up at the start to be resolved at the end because that's how drama works at least, you know, in classic storytelling. The thing is in a role-playing game, that doesn't have to be the case. And there can be interim goals that matter to your character and change your character that do not in any way violate this locked-in stone, you know, bronzed, as you said, character archetype that you have created.
1: Sure. I mean, to go back to The Princess Bride, a lot of those characters were extremely goal-oriented. I mean, Inigo was, Wesley was, and yet those characters formed relationships with each other and helped each other and, sometimes hinted each other in interesting ways and you know they 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 were they were interactive they weren't just these laser focused things where it's like does
0: this have anything to do with my quest no well then i just sit over here right and and the thing that princess bride lacks and that i'm using that as an example right it's a very specific example it's a wonderful touchstone. but what doesn't happen is those characters changing along the way Mm -hmm. right where there are Any number of other examples where you start off with this goal and then at the end, you know, as your character goes through, it's, oh, that goal's no longer as relevant or it's still relevant, but I am not the same person I was at the start because I've done all these other things.
1: The example that's coming to my mind is, um, have you seen the, uh, the Robert De Niro spy movie Ronin?
0: Have I seen Ronin? I have seen Ronin in three different languages. Okay then. So (laughs) I suspect Grant and I have a similar level
1: of love for this particular creative work. Back when I was younger and working nights, sometimes I would just come home and watch movies in the evening. I remember watching *Ronin* back to back to back once I watched it. It's a really good movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I suspect it might be a little bit of a generational thing. Like, really younger, like, our youngest listeners might not have seen it. This is
1: like High Noon. This is one of those movies that might be before your time, but you really owe it to yourself to go see.
0: Yeah, so take a minute and go find Ronan and watch it. You will not be disappointed. It is an amazing action spy thriller movie. It's much better than any of the Bourne stuff, let me tell you. And that's actually a fairly high bar, really. Oh, it is. Um, I mean, it, I I was not a huge fan, but they were good for what they were. Yeah. This one is really good.
1: Yeah. The, the, to call this a good spy movie is, is underselling it in the same way that calling Tombstone a good Western is underselling
0: it. <laughs> yeah. Or Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah. Or High Noon, as I mentioned earlier. Right. There you go. Anyway. Yes, you're right. Massive character changes in Ronin.
1: Yeah. Massive changes not only in who these people are and how they relate to each other, but even their ultimate goals in a lot of cases, because as they learn more about the situation that they are actually in, as opposed to the one that they begin the movie thinking they're in, they have to adapt and change. Mm -hmm. And along the way, there's some of the best car chase scenes you will ever see in anything, but that's beside the point.
0: Well, the car chases are really what make that movie.
1: Well, that and the character interaction, the whole like coffee cup scene at the beginning with the planning and stuff. Yeah, I mean, that amazing. stuff's good,
0: too. It's very, very good.
1: Also, it's a it, rare, it's a rare, rare instance of Sean Bean being in a movie and not dying.
0: That's true. Other. Well, the thing about this, though, is that let me let you finish. Sorry. Let's, no, I just set did. That <laughs> OK. the The cool thing about that is they come up with goals in the middle of the story or new goals are presented to them and they have to pursue them. Some of them are related to the main plot, some of them are not, right? Uh, and that's kind of what happens with this um, Tinra this Show Zero game that I have heard this actual play of from OneShot. As the story progresses, you can pick new destinies, new goals for your character, and those become important things that you are going to do with your character, right? Those are things that you're going to pay off. You basically kind of incur a karmic debt to get them done, as I understand it. Huh. Sounds like an interesting system. It sounds really cool. I want to try and get a, a translated copy of it at some point.
1: Oh, they're working from an
0: actual Japanese version? I have no idea. I think it's been translated semi-recently. Fair But enough. I'm not sure. Uh, again, I have not investigated this. I've just gone, which is rare for me, I know, but I've been busy too. Um, I've just gone off what I have heard from the actual play
1: what you with the two departments to run at work and two children now at home are a busy man perish forbid what a what a <laughs> shocking thought
0: <laughs> madness I know but it sounds really cool yeah
1: you know, this it idea does. of
0: new things to drive your character forward and the thing is the old ones get paid off that's what's really important so that moment of hey anigos finally killed the six finger man. Now what? Well, along the way, he's picked up new goals, right? Yeah,
1: and some of them are kind of obtained from the other characters.
0: And the important thing is they are incomplete. That's the next thing. Yep. Right?
1: Because, I mean, let's, you know, Inigo is a relatively young man at the end of the movie. He can't be more than, what, 35, 40 or so?
0: I picture him around 40. Yeah. But that is possibly just me reading too much into... The character or, you know, the actor's face or something.
1: People from the Mediterranean age so gracefully anyways, so who can tell? He might be 65. I have no idea.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Point is, we need to do this with our own characters because having them locked in from character creation and never changing, it's a huge problem. I will say I think the preponderance of Dungeons & Dragons and games like it has caused this to be a bigger problem in the RPG hobby than perhaps elsewhere.
1: Yeah. And I think this will kind of lead naturally into the next thing that we've got here. But the idea of having a character defined by a specific kind of preset archetype of a character class, Mm -hmm. even back at like in the 3.5 days when those character classes were more looked at as a toolbox and you'd multi-class all over the place, You still had kind of this one core concept that you came up with at character creation, and really the system disincentivized deviating from that in any meaningful way. If you start out as a wizard and you turn into a fighter, you're a lousy fighter and a lousy wizard, and you're not as effective as if you'd stuck with one or the other.
0: Right. That's the thing. There's a huge mechanical penalty for changing your character at a fundamental level. Yeah. Now, this goes back to older fiction as well, the stuff that D&D is based on, right? Certainly. Uh, you know, Conan is a barbarian thief in the Robert E. Howard novels, right? But he doesn't go, well, I'm going to learn some wizardry now. But, you know, he does, yeah. it, that's not the character. He stays pretty constant. And that's yeah. the kind of literature that D&D and other games like it were drawing from at the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, Aragorn is is a really cool character, but I mean, he's a ranger throughout that entire series.
0: Well, I don't know, he multi-classes his king, maybe? Okay, but that's more <laughs> of a social station than a character class. I know, I know. I'm, I'm <laughs> joking. But that that actually brings up what I kind of want to talk about. I think too often we conflate character abilities and character archetype and character mechanics with what the character does... In a game, sure. I mean, I have a certain set of skills, right? I I started off. Okay, Liam Neeson. Well, yeah, yeah. Stop that. <laughs> um, if for only if for no other reason that I haven't seen Taken. You should. The first one was solid. I have not bothered yeah. with the sequels, but the first one was very
1: solid. For what it was, it was good.
0: Dad, action films have lost their. They've lost their savor for me.
1: Uh, what with the actual being of a dad?
0: Well, the, oh, you know, here's this old guy who's, you know, gonna punch things and make it all right with fists and guns. It's never worked. For it. I say never. It has stopped working for me for whatever reason, well, possibly bad. because I can recognize the trope now and go, oh, it's, it's dad action. I don't know. Point is, I have a certain set of skills that I had when I turned 18, 21, whatever, right? Sure. But I've kind of grown past that, and some of those skills of atrophies, some of them are kind of fundamental to who I am, and aren't necessarily being used in what I do on a daily basis, right? I think, again, this gets into a system problem, but in a lot of RPGs, it's, I'm a fighter. What do you do? I fight. I'm a you know
1: well I, and that that brings up another interesting kind of recurring theme is a lot of the time people define those archetypes much more narrowly than they need to be yeah i I had a paladin character that I played a f- a few years back after I kind of started to mature and um unfortunately, this particular campaign only lasted a couple of sessions, but instead of being kind of the the typical you know go out and crusade around on your white horse and slay monsters and stuff i had this guy pictured in my mind as more of an investigator because mm-hmm. paladins not besides their detect evil ability that they all get in like three five d and pathfinder and i think this was right. Pathfinder. they have a whole bunch of these other actual skills from the skill table that help you investigate they have like sense motive and stuff and then there's also yep. a bunch of other information gathering magic on the paladin list they are really good at finding things out. Yeah. So I made this guy, I I cranked up his mental attributes and his physical ones were just kind of moderate and he was basically a lawful good holy detective. I really liked that character. I wish I'd gotten to play him more.
0: Okay. I like that. And the other thing that comes to mind here is, you know, we talked about multiclassing being terrible in a lot of systems, right? Sure. I think if you sit down and make room for characters changing in a game, multiclassing becomes much more attractive.
1: It does. I think if... As I, a I, GM, I want to you're... say
0: multi. Let me, let me real quick. Okay, yeah. When I say multiclassing, what I mean is changing the mechanics of a character in order to reflect their new direction in the story, their new personality, etc. Maybe I am playing a fighter who suddenly decides, you know what? I've had enough of this, it's time for me to become a cleric, because that, you know, that appeals to my character. I, my My fighter has had too many dealings with gods to basically just be a sword waving maniac. It's time for me to take up orders and really make my devotion a thing. I'm going to be a cleric. Doesn't mean he's necessarily going to stop what he's doing. Cleric, You know, your, your average D&D cleric is just as martial, if not more martial, than a fighter, but Maybe the tenor of that character has changed and he's doing something different. Well, the problem is, fighter cleric, you know, unless it's a specific, you know, system and, and specific certain amounts of levels and that sort of thing, isn't very good. Yeah, unless you get into In terms some of, of those multi
1: class enabler prestige classes, it's a very suboptimal choice. Right.
0: And we're talking about three, five here. Other systems, it may be better or worse. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, multiclassing in fourth this down edition a was bit. just the the only thing that
1: example. a fighter brings to being a cleric is a few extra weapon proficiencies and a couple of bonus feats and
0: a bigger hit die and that's basically and it.
1: that goes away as soon as you multiclass. I mean, well, you've, you've you've got what you accrued previously, but it's not like you get to keep it into
0: the new class. Right. And again, we're talking 3035 here. Yeah. But but ultimately, the system disincentivizes that kind of change from in many cases. And I think if you sit down and work with your GM on ways to re incentivize that, it opens up interesting stories that I think players often kind of feel locked out of when they're playing these games. I mean, I would love to run a a D game where somebody goes through that kind of transition. And maybe we set up a system where, okay, the the over time, the skills and training that they used to use, the the really high end parts of that atrophy, and that makes room in your character for this you know the new stuff
1: yeah maybe start trading in a few levels of the old class for levels of the new one slowly yeah that that might be how we
0: mechanically represent it like you can trade in over time uh up to half of of your your levels
1: okay yeah i was gonna say i was gonna be a little more generous and say i'm I'm saying
0: half just because you know we're talking about a level-based system i'm presuming three five because that's what we know you have something pathfindery we'll do something like that cool Yes, we're retconning your character, as it were. I don't care, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where you have to remember the mechanics are supposed to be the tools that you're using to tell the story that you need, and custom tools are okay to a certain extent. Right.
0: But, you know, imagine trying to do that in GURPS. Oof. Character creation is where all the crunch of GURPS is.
1: Well, not and, all of it, but a uh, well, huge no, amount of it. But that's...
0: I mean, the books are full of character options and, you know, well, the, interesting the, monsters the book and that's that has got The character creation rules is
1: the same thickness as the book that has the whole rest of the system.
0: Yeah. I, that's where a lot of the crunch is yeah. in GURPS, and so trying to roll that back would be time consuming, but, you know, that's a system problem. Yeah. Fate, I could do it very easily, because all I'm doing is changing traits and skills.
1: Yeah, change a couple aspects and you're off to the races.
0: Yeah. In fact, what's interesting is I have a copy of Spirit of the Century, which is kind of the first edition of Fate Rules. Mm -hmm. It's well before Fate Core. Yeah. There are no character advancement rules in Spirit of the Century. Yeah, Your character is just there. And what they say is, you know, if you're playing a campaign, what you should do is... Let skills slide a little bit and go up and down, and you know, move things around. And at certain intervals, maybe you can change out a character trait for another character trait, you know, and, and let your character change over time without it doesn't advance in the sense of getting more powerful, more skills, but the nature of the character changes over time slowly, and that kind of thing obviously it's very system dependent but that's the kind of change i kind of want in characters in a campaign because they should not be the same people at the start of the campaign that they are at the end of the campaign
1: i think what you're describing is one of the reasons why story games have been so popular for the last several years in role playing is because well one I, of the I reasons i think a yeah. lot of people well yes one, one of one of the top reasons i would say because i think a lot of people have realized that just kind of banging on larger and larger rocks with the same hammer over and over again starts to get a little tedious after a while
0: it does yeah that's i mean that's the whole indie thing is you know let let's have interesting new systems that allow us to tell different types of stories well yeah so you know the reason this came up for me thinking about it with your job is hey this is something new that you are doing yeah and representing that with a a character is kind of difficult in a lot of the systems you and I play.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because I mean, up, okay. So up until this point, all of my technology experience has been either as a student or a hobbyist, right? Yeah. And that in like role-playing terms, gives me a certain baseline skill level, but, even if even if that skill level stays the same in the in the real world, and I, you know, I don't get a whole lot. I don't get any faster at swapping out memory in a system, or um, mm-hmm. you know, my my ability to diagnose. Hey, that's a failed hard drive. Doesn't get any quicker or have any higher probability of success. There's all of this clustered experience stuff around it, where it's like, you know, I will I will start to learn. Oh, hey! This particular brand of server has the release latches here and here.
0: Right. There's there's specific knowledge you need for your current job.
1: Right. And there's really no way of of representing that well in a lot of RPG systems. And, there isn't. You know, I I had enough skill to get hired, but I'm still nowhere near as good as the guys that are there. Now that I'm learning from and training with. But if you were to to simulate us all in an RPG system, I don't know, you know, they might have like one or two extra ranks and the fixed computer skills and then just a whole bunch of knowledge skills like knowledge Dell servers or something. Well, it,
0: specialties or whatever, depending yeah. on the system. Yeah. Well, but that's and so the other th- th- here's the thing, though, you know. There are core skills that you're keeping, right? Like organization and self-reliance and, you know, that that kind of thing that you're keeping from one job to another. Sure, of and things personality
1: traits like, um, you know, a, a willingness to ask questions and um, kind of trying to keep myself focused and that sort of thing.
0: Now, here's the other thing. You spent how long at Barnes & Noble? Fourteen and a half years. You worked in the cafe at one point, didn't you? Yeah,
1: I started out as a part-time seasonal cashier. I was a cafe server, a music seller, a bookseller, a section lead, a right. head cashier, okay, and so, finally the receiving manager.
0: Okay. Do you remember how to do a cappuccino?
1: Yes, actually.
0: Right. So some of that sticks around, even the really minor stuff. Yeah. Kind of. So how do we represent that in-game, right? Yeah. I, I almost would love to have, like... A background skill that is just, yeah, I did this for a while. Yeah, I roll and see if I remember it. You here's know, the, things like that. Here's
1: the thing: I remember how to make a cappuccino because that's actually a relatively simple drink. It's just okay. foamed milk and espresso. What I could not tell you is what the the actual ratios of different like ingredients that go into one of the the seven million calories frozen coffee drinks that we saw a lot. Oh, in the summer right, would like be. the
0: the made up Italian name with tons of caramel and whipped cream
1: yes exactly okay so some of that does go away you know i mean there there's a there are certain things where it's simple and it's an essential thing like for instance i still remember from my very first job where i worked for a company i was a a cashier at a local supermarket chain i still Over 20 years later, remember that the PLU code for bananas
0: is 4011. There you go. It's weirdly specific information that sticks with you. (laughs) Yeah. So we could represent that in an RPG, kind of, but it'd be hard. Now, can you think of a system? Let's pretend, and I'm going to say pretend here, obviously. Let's pretend for a minute that I discover I have a tremendous talent for painting. Okay. Okay. And I decide to quit my job and become a painter. Well, first of
1: all, the podcast is going to get a lot more interesting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it just? Yes. And we will definitely be launching a Patreon campaign
1: (laughs) at that point. Buy Grinch
0: Paintings. (laughs) Please, please, please keep us on the air. But imagine that I did that. How would you represent a a character making that massive a, a career switch?
1: yeah I mean, how many
0: years have you been in software uh pretty much since I was like twenty three i'm thirty I'm about to turn thirty three yeah so you so ten years you
1: started in software at the and, same age that I started in retail, yeah and you're still in it, and I just switched and I'm a little yeah. older than you so
0: so yeah. i I'm due is what you're saying if you want to be, I mean, well, but you know, there are statistics that say that people change careers every 10 years
1: or they can on average, well, on
0: average, like that's the average is people completely change careers every 10 years. Not just like going from one job to another within that field, but make major changes.
1: Sure. I mean, I had a a coworker um, at Barnes and Noble who is uh, studying to be an occupational therapy assistant right now. She runs the kids department. Those yeah. are very
0: divergent fields. Wildly different, exactly. Yeah. For example, what we've talked about Slock Mercenary, a yeah. fantastic webcomic. I still he need used... to catch up on that. Yes, you do. The author and cartoonist, Howard Taylor, used to work for Novell, big enterprise server company with tons of software solutions. We actually partner with them at my current job. That's a huge change, going from software to comics and writing humor. Yeah. But people do that pretty regularly, and role-playing game characters, generally speaking, do not. Okay, well,
1: since you brought up the, the cartoonist thing, it's interesting because that's a that and actually what I'm doing now are both examples of you take something that you learned in your last stage of life and bring it forward with you. I'm not thinking particularly of uh, Howard Taylor in the the cartoonist sense. I'm thinking of a guy named Norm Feudy, who was a retail manager for many years and now writes a comic called Retail that is so accurate that sometimes it's not actually funny to those of us who have worked in the field.
0: Um, Well, Howard Taylor, you know, he's taking this technical knowledge and turning it into a web comic. You know, he's using his technical abilities to put that out there in a medium that other people were just beginning to explore. Sock Mercenary is one of the older webcomics out there.
1: Right. And it, it adds an additional layer of um, authenticity versus however you want to say it to his work that he's got some, some of those experiences. Right. I mean, it's not Sock well, sure. Mercenary isn't about
0: enterprise software development, but right. Ultimately the story is kind of about, you know, transhumanism and tech, you know, technology. Right. right. And done with, In the guise of a funny story about a band of space mercenaries, you know, that technical mind and and the the fundamental skills that he has in understanding technology and its implications and its application probably served him well, both in writing this story and working at a software company. Just guessing, right? Yeah. But, you know, some of it might be an issue with time frame. There may just be a lot of cases where stories don't cover this kind of time scale in role-playing games, but I think in many cases they could, and we've locked ourselves out of it in how we've designed our systems and set up our stories. There's an assumption that nobody's going to change during this story, because we're going to go from the beginning to the end, and that's going to be our story. Right. And, you know, we talked a couple episodes ago about deprotagonizing. That's a big instance of deprotagonizing, and in some cases it comes from the player. My character is not going to change.
1: Yeah, now... It- there's nothing that says that you absolutely have to change your character a lot as you go through a story. I mean, you right. can have, a, as I a said character before, Inigo Montoya is a great character, a dramatic character. But I think, yeah, but I, th- I think if you've found yourself getting trapped into one or the other where you're like, oh, man, this character absolutely cannot change or I can't play this character. I'm not actually role playing if this character doesn't go through massive life changes and come out totally I, different than I they I honestly well, feel like if at any point try the other time you
0: find yourself constantly saying, "Well, my character wouldn't do that. My character wouldn't do that. My character wouldn't do that." You need to look back at it and say, "Am I refusing to let this character change from my initial vision of how they were at the very start of the campaign?" Now, there are perfectly good reasons why a character might not do that at that time, okay? But if it's if it becomes a constant refrain, yeah, maybe there's something else
1: Yeah, if it's habitual, you might want to sit down and think about ways where maybe this character could do maybe not that specific thing. You know, I mean, uh, certainly people's core principles don't change as readily as their vocation does. But and if you're in a situation where moving forward is constantly requiring you to do things that you're very uncomfortable with, well, then that's time to have a conversation with the rest of your group. Yeah.
0: Exactly. I'll tell you this. You know, I've I've talked about this kind of during the history of the show. I want to, at some point, run a fantasy colonization game.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would like to do that, too, because I think that would be really interesting.
0: I think it would. That kind of time frame, the scale of that game, invites those kinds of changes, right? We are settlers. We are colonizing. We bring some skills, and five years later... We are different people because we've done stuff here. We've ha- we've become farmers and miners and we are no longer the warriors or explorers we landed as.
1: Yeah. Or exiles or refugees
0: or whatever else. Right. Maybe my character has become a leader here where previously he signed up to be a dirt farmer. Yeah. Okay. Who you know who knows? Those changes... Or vice versa. Maybe you were somebody
1: with a lot of temporal power in your old life, and you have laid that aside for whatever reason, and you don't want to pick it back up again.
0: Exactly. So, is there a system out there that supports that? I don't know. I would love to do, like, a and d 5th Edition game, or some cool indie game, and I'm kind of leaning towards indie game, because I don't know if D&D 5th Edition would let me introduce these kinds of changes to characters over time without running into massive all right. mechanical Listeners, problems if,
1: if any of you out there and I know there's at least a couple hundred of you so if any of you out there know of a system that would work really well for what Grant and I would like to do would you please tell us just just get in touch with us and let us know even if you listen to this yeah. episode six months after it's originally released just send us an email we'll give you Put, all our contact well information.
0: no 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 I'll say this Put it in the comments yes. on the show, stgcast.org. Put it in the, the comments for this particular episode so that it's available to everybody and everybody can can see what's been suggested.
1: Yes, that is a much better idea than mine.
0: Yeah. Let's put it there because, you know, six months later, somebody's going to go, oh, I have a cool idea, and they'll have no idea what people have tweeted at us <laughs> six months ago right. or emailed us, you know, privately. So let, let's put it in the, the comments because I'd really want to see that built up. Okay. I think I'm done with this particular soapbox, (laughs) but yeah, but it's, it's, this is one of those problems that has been frustrating me because it's, it's, it seems like it's kind of come to a head and it finally crystallized with like your job change and this hobby change for me. It's just like, wait, this has been a problem. Yeah. 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 All right. So one thing before we wrap this up that I want to talk about here. All right. We've been talking about this in terms of RPG characters and in terms of job changes and that sort of thing. I want to stress that this can sometimes be a calling from God that we should not miss out on. Yeah, definitely. We talk about calling often in terms of okay. a call to ministry.
1: Yeah. Um and let's let me just throw out the most obvious example real quick here because it's perfect. Paul.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yeah, certainly. That's a—I would almost call that a conversion
1: along with a calling.
0: But it it was also a calling because the
1: way that his ministry looked before the road to Damascus, and he thought of it as a ministry, looked radically different from what he did when he became Christ's ambassador to the Gentiles,
0: right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The other one that comes to mind, um, aside from the verse from Matthew that we quoted at the start of this episode— is Matthew's call cuz Matthew was a tax collector yeah who became an apostle and you know these these redeeming calls where you set aside your old life and move on to something different in service of God those things are really important and I I don't want people to lose track of those and reflecting those in characters honestly is kind of a good way to
1: practice reflecting them out of characters? Well,
0: I'm, I'm going to say if you're not sure like if, you, if you're if you kind of going am I hearing a call? Maybe you can explore that a little bit in a game. You know, look at it and say is this something that I could actually do? Or is this just a whim? Is this something on the spur of a moment that seems good right now but eh, it's, it's not really coming from a deep place. It's not co- It's not a call I'm hearing. It's indigestion. <laughs> you know
1: or or just um, you had a mountaintop experience and that's got you in an elevated emotional state or something.
0: yeah, you know, at the same time, if, if it turns out to be something you know deep and powerful and you like it more and more as you play around with this idea in a game I, I mean play around with literally. maybe that's something you ought to start looking into. you know, I'm picking up painting. Because, you know, I, I was watching videos and it, it just appealed more and more and more. Okay. Christ has worked through stranger things for people, you, you know? Sure, absolutely. Uh, and and to create much deeper, lasting, meaningful changes in people's lives than picking up a new hobby. Well, so, and I mean,
1: <laughs> let, let's use a, a very um, immediate and at-hand example. Part of the genesis of this podcast that you and I are doing was you deciding to play a Catholic priest in a Mage the Ascension game.
0: True. And I did that because I was not being particularly Christian and had sort of come around to the realization that that was missing in my life. And I wanted to deepen that relationship with God. And so I started the podcast at about the same time I started doing that character. Because it was like, hey, let me do something to engage with Christ. And... Step back into that role, and it turns out to have been a good thing, obviously. So you know, don't reject that out of hand. This idea of practice turns out to be important. Yeah. So I think we can wrap it up here. Uh, time to get off our soapboxes. Yes, (laughs) but (laughs) I do want to thank you everyone for listening. If you uh, have comments, of course, please put them in the show notes, and you can always reach us on social media as well. Follow us there. Uh, you know, all the usual places you search for us. We're easily found saving the game. Yeah. Peter, any final thoughts? No,
1: I I think I'm good on this one.
0: Okay. I'm going to wrap it up here then. Thanks for listening, folks. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. This podcast episode is a production of saving the game and may be redistributed under a creative commons, non-commercial, non-derivative license. So long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey, Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.